There'll be no more music. There'll be no more merchandising. There'll be no more manufacturing. There'll be no more marriages. And this is going to become the trigger to the Battle of Armageddon. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we've been looking at Babylon, not the Babylon of the Old Testament that was home to the Tower of Babel, and not the Babylon of the area we now call Iraq, but rather another city, a future city, which the Bible seems to point to as an area in or around Rome. The vision of Jesus given to the Apostle John indicates that the city, like its namesake, will be an area of great wealth and of great apostasy. It will be the area from which the Antichrist will emerge and set up headquarters. And it will be a location that will be central to a worldwide ecumenicism and syncretism of religions from around the world. But as we have seen, about halfway through a seven-year period known as the Tribulation, the religions of the world will no longer find favor in the Antichrist, and they will be brought down. It's during the same time period that the great Babylon will be destroyed by a heavenly angel. Its leaders will fall and the city will literally burn. Its commerce will be no more and the economy will be decimated. Let's find out more as we rejoin Dr. Brogy as he reads from Revelation 18, verse 14. The fruit you long for has gone from you. And all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. All the possessions, all the luxuries, all the wealth that has been central to this city called Babylon, that these people have worked for, that they've gotten as perks by giving their allegiance to the Antichrist, will be gone. You will no longer find them. They will be stripped away in a moment's time. Verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance. Again, you can't spiritualize this. There's physical proximity. It's a real place, and they're standing at a distance from this place. They will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. The merchants have now joined the kings. They start their weeping, but they will actually never stop because as soon as they meet Christ in judgment, their weeping will go from this life and to a place where Jesus said they never stop weeping and eternal weeping in the lake of fire. Here the merchants have joined the kings and they say, notice verse 16, the same pathetic song, whoa, whoa, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. Now, you would think they would repent. Four groups preaching, 144,000, their converts, the two witnesses, and an angel, which is unique, because angels don't typically preach the gospel, but God will allow it at this time. An angel, an eternal angel, flying in the heavens, will preach the gospel. Everyone will hear the gospel, and you would think they would repent, but they weep not over their sin, but over their junk. You know, today an earthquake comes, a tsunami, a hurricane. I remember especially watching that tsunami with the Japanese people, which for the most part is a godless nation. Less than 1% of 1% of the people in that nation are Christian. And the people were weeping and crying over all that they had lost. 
but not over their own personal souls. Listen, every good and perfect gift comes from above, but here are people mourning over temporal perspectives and not things that are of eternal nature. Now there's a third cry. There's the cry of the monarchs. There's the cry of the merchants. Now there's the cry of the mariners, the cry of the mariners. Look at this third group as they are described in verse 17. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance. Four groups. First, the shipmaster. Some of your translations say the ship captain, the sea captain. Then there's the passenger, the guy who hooked the rod on the boat the sailor who runs the boat, and then inclusively, as many as make their living by the sea. And again, they too are at a distance. There's a physical proximity because God won't allow you to spiritualize this and write it off. This is literally actually going to happen in the future. Now, if you remember at the second trumpet judgment, God said a third of all the ships in the world were destroyed. I gave you actual numbers based on today's uh, number of registered ships in the world today. What will that do? Supply and demand. If you're in the shipping business, which is necessary to move commodities around the world, you will become a very rich person. And so here they stand at a distance as they watch Babylon go up in smoke. Here's a picture of uh, Chivatavecchia. Chivatavecchia is the port of Rome. As the crow flies, it's uh, 36 miles away. It was established in 854 A.D. Pope Leo VII uh, ordered its construction. In those days, the popes were more than just popes. They ran whole nations and countries. And, and of course, to this day, it's still called the Port of Rome. So even if you're in the Port of Rome, where all the ships anchor to this day. You'll see the plume of smoke. There in Colorado last summer, they say you could see that plume of smoke 40 or 50 miles away. And of course, if you're out in the ocean, Rome is just 18 miles from the water. And so here they are, they're watching, they stand at a distance, and notice further verse 18, they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like the great city? Sound familiar? Remember back in chapter, 11, uh, chapter 13 and verse 4 when the Antichrist receives a fatal room, wound. He's literally killed. And he comes back to life. And the people say, who is like the beast? No one is like the Antichrist. How do you compare anyone to this man? We've literally seen him rise from the dead. We didn't see Jesus rise with our physical eyes, but we've seen this guy come back to life. And now these people are saying the same refrain, but of this great city. What is like Babylon? Babylon, it's the strong city. It's made us wealthy beyond wealth. But now it is going up in smoke. Verse 19, and they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, whoa, whoa, the great city. He's underscoring their mourning as you would take dust or dirt and you'd throw it on your head. But again, they're not mourning over their sin like the Ninevites do, but they are mourning over the loss of the economy. Their wealth has dried up. They're weeping, they're wailing. All that they've dreamed and schemed for is gone. Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Now underscore how 9-11-ish this is. He wants you to see, again, this is not some prolonged destruction, but in one hour, very, very quickly, I have it underscored three times in my Bible. In verse 10, in one hour, your judgment has come. 
and verse 17, in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And now in verse 19, in one hour she has been laid waste. Millions of dollars instantly gone. It's like taking the bubonic plague and the Holocaust and Pearl Harbor and the stock market crash and the Great Depression and 9-11 and wrapping it up all in one, in one hour. And again, there's not a cry of repentance. There's a cry of mourning over the loss of physical material things. Now there's one more cry, and it's the cry of the multitudes. It's a different cry, and it is from a different place. Look now, if you will, at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. So while earth weeps over the fall of Babylon, heaven is in worship. Earth is mourning, heaven is rejoicing. And the speaker, of course, who gives the command goes back to the start of the chapter. It's this angel of God. Now, remember, when you see the term saints, it's important that you ask, what kind of saints is he referring to? There are different classifications of saints in the Bible. The word saint is not like it's used today in Roman Catholicism where a select few people are given that designation. Every true believer, Old or New Testament believer, is called a saint. Old Testament believers are called saints. And so in Psalm 34, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Church believers are called saints. And so Paul is said in the book of Acts to be, to be persecuting the saints in Jerusalem. Peter in Acts 9 also speaks of the saints who lived at Lydia. Even the most immature believer in the New Testament because sainthood isn't based on performance. God doesn't justify you by works as the Roman Catholic Church teaches. God justifies you by grace alone, through faith alone, based on the word of God alone, based on what Christ alone has done to the glory of God alone. And it is so church saints, even the most immature like those in Corinth are called saints by calling. And so we are told here, these saints, and now it appears to be a general designation of all those who are in heaven at this time. That would be Old Testament saints. That would be the church who have been caught up and raptured, Revelation 4, through that open door. It would be tribulation saints who have been martyred and are now in heaven. And verse 20 notice, notes the apostles and prophets, not just saints, but apostles and prophets. Remember, two leadership gifts on which the church is built, apostles and prophets. And please notice it says apostles, apostles plural, that are designated with this city. Now, tradition, history records how the apostles were martyred, and most all of them were martyred in different places. But there is only one city in the history of Christendom where more than one apostle was martyred. Some would debate whether Peter was martyred in Rome. They do not debate whether Paul or Andrew or the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, James, was martyred there. And there's only one city in the history of the world where God's apostles were martyred in the plural, and that is the city of Rome, which again eliminates some of the other suggestions people have made. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Now, I've mentioned to you that some refer to this Babylon as Jerusalem. Can't be. Immediately, that's just sloppy exegesis. 
because you will notice this place, this great city that is destroyed, the Bible says, will not be found any longer. There's no expiration date for the city of Jerusalem. When Jesus comes back, he will rule and reign for 1,000 years from that city. And they are commanded, notice, to rejoice. Why? Because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. This place, this headquarters of the Antichrist that has been responsible for the death and the destruction of millions of God's people, most of them through beheading during this period of time, finally they are now going to be judged. And while that brings sadness upon the earth, it brings great joy in heaven. They are commanded to rejoice and they are not taking so much pleasure in the death of the wicked as they are in the vindication of God's people, that God is a God who is just, that God is a God who will someday make every wrong right. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Listen, don't get down in the world that we live in. Don't let the devil begin to cause you just to think negatively. I know things are changing so fast. My wife was discussing with me yesterday of an 11-year-old boy. Converse sneakers have made him the model. He's an 11-year-old drag queen. You talk about child abuse. You talk about wickedness and depravity. And all these Dems and one Republican who's coming unglued because people in a number of southern states want to protect life and not murder innocent babies. And it's so easy as you see all this stuff coming undone to get discouraged. But remember, read the end of the story. God's people in the end will be victorious. We will win. That's what God says. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Not just a small millstone that a man would use, but a great millstone like a couple of oxen would would pull around a turnstile. A great millstone. And the great city will be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And look at the refrain of the words any longer. They're important. Verse 22, and the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. Verse 23, and the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. This description of both their luxuries and the necessities will be removed. All the music will be gone. All the manufacturing, the craftsmen will be gone. All the factories represented by the sound of the mill will be gone. All of the weddings will be gone. They will be there no more as the ESV renders it. There'll be no more music. There'll be no more merchandising. There'll be no more manufacturing. There'll be no more marriages. And this is going to become the trigger to the battle of Armageddon that we'll study further in the next chapter. And why, what is the reason for this judgment? He zeroes in on it. Because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Corrupt leadership characterized by sorcery and deception. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who had been slain on the earth. 
And God, who is long-suffering, who is patient, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, finally says, enough is enough. And the dam of his patience gives way to his wrath. And then as we studied in chapter 16, then God gathers the kings as he deceives them through demons. They will reap what they sow and they will come to this place in a battle that we call the campaign or battle of Armageddon. And God will destroy them in a moment's time. And then he will remove every unbeliever from the planet. The sheep will be separated from the goats. And Christ will rule and reign victoriously. And at the end of that rule and reign, and we'll see why that is so important in God's plan, he will then create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, God's people have been reading the Revelation for some 2,000 years. This book originally written to seven churches in 95 AD, and yet chapter four through 22 is futuristic. Say, what does this have to do with me? Everything, all scripture is God-breathed. It's all profitable. So what are some of the timeless applications we can take today? Let me suggest at least three. Number one, I would ask you this. Are you living like a citizen of Babylon or like a citizen of heaven? God knows that the lure of the world is strong in every age. And in verse four, he says, come out of Babylon. And he addresses my people meaning believers. Church saints to this day are vulnerable, and they will be vulnerable in that day maybe more than ever because you'll be able to do anything you want with anybody you want because the restrainer will have been removed and sin will have a holiday during the seven years. Come out of her. Don't give in to the lure of her prosperity or her comforts or her pleasures, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus will say. And Babylon still tugs on the Adamic natures of man, calling us to indulge in the sinful pleasures of the world instead of following the living God. And God continually invites his people to come out. Paul will tell the Corinthians, therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. You know, we hear a whole lot today about the separation of the church from the state. We need to hear a whole lot more about the separation of the church from a worldly lifestyle. And if you dance with the devil, you're gonna get burned by him. He is gonna trap you. He doesn't care about you, he hates you, he despises you. He's the one who's energizing this world system and he wants to take down your testimony and ruin your home and your marriage and your business or anything else you can think of. So I would just ask, are you living like a citizen of Babylon or like a citizen of heaven? Secondly, are you storing up treasure in heaven or on earth? Perhaps you see people in our day who are wheeling and dealing and getting rich and you think, man, I want a piece of that action. Don't envy Babylon. Only a fool envies a fool. Jesus gave a very powerful parable in Luke 12 to teach us that. Listen to what he says about money and about things that really matter, about real treasure. If you remember the occasion, he's preaching about hypocrisy and hell and persecution and perseverance and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He's preaching on all these things and then one guy comes out of the audience and all this guy can think about is money. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. 
Here are two brothers. They're fighting over the family inheritance. And one brother is trying to publicly embarrass the other. And Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? What makes you think I came here simply to, to, to settle your little disputes amongst each other? He came to seek and to save the lost, and then through a second birth, you can learn how to get along with other people. But here's this guy who's just consumed with money and with things, and he's got a problem, and the problem very simply is greed. Beware, Jesus said, and be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, when you come down to verse 22 of chapter 12, we are reminded that he is not just speaking about unbelievers. He is speaking to his people so that we can make proper application from the folly of these unbelieving brothers. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Now, that's the exact opposite of what the world teaches us. You're classified as rich or poor, successful or unsuccessful, as a power broker or a peon by what you own. And if from the world's perspective you own little, you're a nothing. That's what the world says. And so he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grains and my goods. Here is a farmer who is so skilled and so blessed of God that he earned so much he didn't know what to do with it all. He has his bumper crop. He can't store them in the piece of property he has, so he decides to tear down the barns he has and to build bigger ones. And then we hear his thoughts in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. By the way, in many ways, he's like the typical American. I want to go to college. Why do you want to go to college? So I can get a good job. Why do you want to get a good job? So I can make a lot of money. Why do you want to make a money? So I can get fat and, you know, have a big fat lifestyle and retire early and go to Florida and play shuffleboard. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared. So is a man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Dying had not really crossed this guy's thinking. There's a lot of people, they're making all kinds of preparations. They got insurance preparations. They got house preparations. They got their 403 and 401s and all these other preparations. And they prepare for everything except death. And the day this fella dies, the first day of his retirement, it's on that day he says, soul, you've got many goods stored up for many years to come. And Jesus said, you fool, this very day, this very night, your soul is required of you. And so he will say to his people, and we'll explore this in our Wednesday night series, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out in an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. Third question, ask yourself, are you a citizen of the world or are you a citizen of heaven? Are you a citizen of the world or a citizen of heaven? In this coming day, 
People are going to be identified either with Antichrist in his capital, Babylon, or with God's Christ in his new Jerusalem. Do you know, can you rejoice today that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Here's Babylon, not even destroyed yet. And people are playing their music, they're celebrating in their marriages and in their merchandise, and then destruction comes. And it is the first city on the map that God totally obliterates. And then he will ultimately obliterate all the cities of the world. The Bible says he'll bring the mountains down low, the valleys up. He'll stone the unbelievers of this world with hailstones from heaven. You say, I think I'm a citizen of heaven. You don't want to just think so. You want to know so. A lot of people hope to go to heaven, but they don't know. The Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. You say, well, I hope to get it right someday, pastor. Someday may never come for you. The Bible says a man who hardens his neck after much reproof, it will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. You can cross a line by which you can never cross back again. Today is the day to be saved. But you must change your mind over evil. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. He's not just offering you fire insurance from hell, though he is. But he's offering you so much more, and unless you come on his terms, you cannot come at all. You cannot hold on to your sin and love it with no desire for God to change it and forgive it. You come to a cross where he bore in his own body the judgment so that you could be forgiven and made a new creature in Christ Jesus. And if you will come to him today, he will receive you. For Christ Jesus receives sinful men. Now, our Father, I thank you today that this is not simply what you have said. This is what you are saying. So give us ears to hear. Help us to do some personal inventory. You told your people in this coming future time to come out of Babylon. You are warning them of the lures of sin that still exists and are all around us in our day. Help us to do some personal evaluation. Help us to make sure that our hearts are clean that while we live in this world, we are not a part of its value system. Father, I pray today for someone who is here who has never been saved. Thank you that salvation cannot be earned. It has been paid for in full with the blood of Christ. It is the gift of God. Help someone today to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve judgment. But I thank you that you came to earth, that you died in my place that you took my punishment and you proved your ability when you were raised from the dead. And so I come to you asking you to forgive my sin and to change me, to have my name written in the Lamb's book of life and to make me the kind of person that I can be that I might live for your glory and honor. Help someone, Father, to say an eternal yes today to Christ. I ask it in his name. Amen. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 18, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV52 entitled The Cry When Babylon Falls. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. For more information about this ministry, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we move into chapter 19 of the Revelation and look at a song sung in heaven. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. <music>